0: hi you're listening to yellow glitter a podcast on mindfulness through the eyes and soul of a gay asian i'm your host steven wakabayashi and you're listening to a very special episode for this month of february on love queer asian love i'm joined on this episode with rajiv khanna hi rajiv
1: hi thank you so much for having me
0: (laughs) i'm so excited to have you rajiv khanna he him his is a gay second generation indian american living in san francisco california he is very involved in the south asian community through volunteering and hosting cultural and queer events and always loves a good bollywood dance party
1: <laughs> oh yeah i was literally just that one last night so it was a good time <laughs> oh
0: amazing what was that
1: um it was actually a queer bollywood party um that they hold here in san francisco about once a quarter Um, And it's just a night of debauchery and dancing, you know, choreographed (laughs) Bollywood sequences. It's amazing. (laughs)
0: Amazing. Beautiful. And I just absolutely love, I actually really love Bollywood music videos. (laughs) Yeah. They are so interesting. They're first like really elaborate and they have this beautiful intricate storyline and (laughs) it's so dramatic.
1: (laughs) Yeah. My life is pretty much a Bollywood movie and I've accepted that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: oh, just like cue the music cue the lights oh, yeah. cue the colors <laughs>
1: yeah I'm, I'm all about synchronized dancing um so anytime i can learn a routine and make everyone around me learn it and do it to the beat that's that yeah, gives me life
0: so yeah. <laughs> amazing and so we connected through our mutual friend suds who i absolutely adore and because i adore him i feel like i'm gonna adore you so much on this podcast <laughs>
1: I hope so. <laughs>
0: yeah. And so, first question for you is, you know, I we connected earlier before this show and you mentioned you grew up in Rancho Cucamonga near Los Angeles.
1: That's right. Yeah, the fabulous Rancho Cucamonga. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and so and that's really close to my hometown of West Covina. It's about like 30 minutes away give or take, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. the Greater LA area. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so I'm just curious from your perspective, as an Indian man, let alone a gay Indian man in Rancho Cucamonga, what was it like growing up in that community?
1: Yeah, so, you know, my parents immigrated from India um, back in, I believe it was 1985. Um, So it was a really different time back then. Um, They were probably the only, maybe one of the few Indian families in Rancho Cucamonga. Um so it was just it was very apparent that they were different and that we were different. Um, but I think I was lucky enough that at least growing up in elementary and high school, I didn't see it too much um, because I kind of had this group of other friends of color that we kind of all banded together and hung out. Um, so we kind of found our own little sanctuary there, um, which was which was really nice. Um, in fact, uh, so I had a group of um, twelve friends in high school. Uh, uh, six guys, six girls, and it's pretty funny that um, over time, all six guys ended up coming out
0: uh, over the phase
1: of like, yeah, over the phase of like three or four <laughs> years, and no one had any idea when we became friends that we were all gay. <laughs>
0: what? That is, yeah. How, what, what was that like? So, who? Okay, first question is, out of the <laughs> six, out of the six boys, which number were you? Were you in the beginning or were you in the later part?
1: definitely later i think i was
0: fifth oh wow okay and what was it like when when the first friend was just like i'm gay what was that like
1: i you know i think the first one kind of pushed us all further in the closet just because we were like oh but we're not you know like it was kind of like a shock to all of us because we hadn't admitted to ourselves back then
0: Uh, but by the third
1: by like the third or fourth person like okay we get it we're all gay you know
0: (laughs) Wow, that's interesting. And also, you know, from my perspective back in the 90s, Rancho Cucamonga was not very Asian, right?
1: Not at all. No. Um yeah. So I went to a high school with, I think uh, almost 4,000 students. Um and they had yeah, they had maybe 10 Asians at best.
0: Wow, um, wow, wow.
1: Yeah, so that was um that was really apparent and I think because of that I wasn't really into my Indian culture as much because it was you know I wanted to assimilate fit in whatever um to the point where I'd actively say like oh like oh I don't do that I don't hang out with Indians I don't uh want to eat the food you know I was I was very actively against it up until uh, college actually um so that was that was just looking back on it now it was just such a weird time for me to be so just kind of antagonistic against it.
0: Yeah, and, and what was that turning point like of going from, I don't really identify with my ethnicity, my parents' experience, but in college, what was that turning point?
1: Yeah, it, it was a huge turning point because I now call myself the Queen of the Indians. Um, <laughs> <so> <laughs> went pretty yeah. far. Yeah. Um. So I think when I went to college, you know, I think everyone who goes to college kind of experiences when you first show up, you don't know anyone, Right. Um, so you immediately look forward, uh, look to build uh, a community of some sort. Um, and it's kind of easy to just fall under, like, a community that you've kind of been exposed to your entire life. Um, so I just naturally gravitated, toward, gravitated towards, like, the Indian groups that existed on, on campus. Um, and I went to UC Berkeley. Um, uh,
0: so there were a more plethora of yes, Indians yes. there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Um, So, yeah, you know, I think it was it was that like just slowly meeting Indians and realizing that they went through the exact experience that I did as an Indian American of figuring out what it means to be both Indian and American. And I think through that, I realized that that in itself is its own community. And I decided to take advantage of that and thrive in that.
0: Yeah. And you also bond. What I've noticed is as I was exploring my Asian identity, especially coming from this white or white passing community uh, growing up, uh, you I found that I bonded with friends over this experience of assimilation too, mm-hmm. how we've all tried to assimilate, and as a part of it, kind of this like stripping away of our culture, and in it, we almost become so much more compassionate with ourselves that we had done that and i think it's a it's an amazing turning point for a lot of asians to go through that experience
1: right no i agree i mean I'm, i hope that because there's larger populations of asians now at least in the areas that we're from i hope that people don't have to go through that what we went through you know um because it was it was tough and i think it back then we didn't even realize it was tough it only it's only until now we realize like oh we actually have to go through a lot and we had to ignore and hide and suppress some stuff that we didn't realize we were doing.
0: Yeah. I remember my mom, she is very Taiwanese and she was always packing me lunch and packing me all of this Asian food. And Mm -hmm. I was, it was so embarrassing for me because I was one of the only people who I was not one of the only, people. I was the only person in some of my classes when I would have this non American lunch And I was picked on. People were like, "What are you eating? That's so weird!" And I was just like, so embarrassing that I would tell my mom, "Just like stop cooking it. Like stop. I don't want this. Just give me that peanut butter jelly sandwich. (laughs) Let me, (laughs) like, let me fit in." And it's just like that's just a the you know the tip of the iceberg. It's just so many other things when our culture comes out that people go, "Oh, that's weird. That's not like any of us."
1: Yeah, it's interesting that it's always food, right? Because that's the most visual, the most like you can smell it, you can see it, all that stuff. Um, it really makes a kid stand out um, in school. And I think for me, um, so I, I'm I'm vegetarian.
0: Uh, I've always been yeah, vegetarian. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, you know, that's a big part of like, uh, like uh, so we're Hindu and you know, a lot of, not all Hindus, but a lot of Hindus are vegetarian. Um, so that for me was very like, it was a sticking point, right? I was the vegetarian kid and people would ask me why I didn't eat meat. They'd try to like feed me meat. You know, that was, that was something that I had to go through. And like, it was just always something I had to explain and, you know, defend rather than just like letting myself be. Um, so that was that was actually kind of tough.
0: Yeah, oh, tough, annoying, just uh, all of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I still get the question to this day, like, oh, but what do you eat? And I was like, do you not realize that Indian food, like the cuisine was built for vegetarians, right? Like yeah. I have so much to eat. Yeah. I'm yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and even the, uh, Jane, you know, the Jain culture, they are even more restrictive and they don't eat onions. They don't eat garlic and they have an entire cuisine made for them.
1: Right. Yeah. No, I know. Um, I mean, I always tell people like Indians know how to make vegetables taste good. Um, we just don't like steam our vegetables like they do here. Like I'm so sick of eating steamed vegetables when I go to like friends' parties. I'm like, you need to make like YouTube Indian recipe and like let's get this over with. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just and uh, the spices. It's uh, I, you know, one of my friends. She was cooking for me and she made Indian food with uh, spices from scratch. And it was just, uh, I was like, oh my God, this is just like flavor explosion overload. It's like creating all this paste from scratch. And I was like, oh my God, I I totally get why you would be so obsessed with this because who wouldn't, you know, it's so delicious.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that always takes you back to your culture too. Like my mom has been cooking this her whole life and I was associated that with being home, being Indian, All that stuff and actually speaking of sudarshan our common friend um so we were just hanging out about a month ago and um i don't cook like i i hate cooking and he sat me down and said we're cooking today so we went to the indian store we bought all the spices all the vegetables and we made this like three course indian meal and it was delicious and now i think i'm gonna cook now so
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and you just uh you start small right right you start small Uh, I wanted to go back to kind of your, uh, we didn't touch on it, but I wanted to talk a little bit about how you realized you were gay, you know, in the group of friends, but even just for yourself, was there a turning point when you've had a specific experience or a certain thought that made you realize, oh, I'm gay?
1: Yeah, so I would say in high school, it was very much on the back of my mind. Um, I I don't think there was kind of one moment that I realized it, um, but it was still a realization that just like, oh, my eyes tend to look more towards men um, just in in the general population. Um, So that was something I very actively had to fight all throughout high school. Um, Even with my friends coming out, you know, uh, I just never thought that was me. Um, and it wasn't until college when at the same time I was kind of exploring my Indian identity, I was exploring my identity in general. Um, and I remember sitting in class one day, uh, some lecture or something, and I think it just hit me and I was like, oh damn it, I think I'm gay. It hit me like a brick wall and I was like, all right, well, let's do this.
0: (laughs) What class Um, is that?
1: (laughs) Well, I wasn't paying attention, so uh, I don't know.
0: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's so funny. Was it, was it like a classmate or was it a professor when you were just like, oh, I'm gay?
1: I think I was just in my head. It was sophomore year of college. And like the whole first year of college, I was in my head about, you know, what I want. Um, especially because everyone around you, you know, everyone gets to college they're having fun, like meeting people, dating. And that just never interested me and asking myself why I reached that answer one day in class. So.
0: Ah, yeah. And yeah. I think culturally, too, uh, Berkeley is so, so different from metro and people are more expressive. But being out is a lot safer, too.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, right. I think, you know, there's always that fear of when you come out, you're going to be rejected People aren't going to talk to you. They're going to look at you different. Um, and in fact, I didn't even, like, I came out to myself in sophomore year, and then I didn't tell people until junior year. It took me a whole nother year to to do that. Um, but when I did start telling people, no one was shocked. Um, they were like, yeah, we know. We were just waiting. Um, and, yeah, I didn't receive, and not only did I not receive any pushback or hate or whatever, I received just so much support from everyone I knew um, so that,
0: that made things a lot, yeah. a lot better. Gotcha. Amazing. Uh, for myself, navigating being gay was something I went through college too. And it's interesting because I was out to my friends, out to all the people that I worked with, but who I wasn't out with was my family. And right. it took me quite some time to navigate this conservative culture, from the japanese side so i'm half japanese and half taiwanese and yeah. navigating both of these conservative cultures and being gay at home was a whole nother experience and i'm just curious if you have any experience with navigating being gay within your indian culture at home
1: yeah so one wrinkle there i'm actually yeah. not out to my parents yet God. Um, yeah i haven't i haven't done that yet um And the timing of this is kind of fortuitous because I'm planning to come out to my mom within a week. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it's a lot of things happening. Um, But, you know, similar to to other Asian cultures, Indian culture is very conservative. Um, And I think it's even made more so because, at least for my parents' generation, there's a big culture of arranged marriages. You know, so it's this idea that you're not marrying for love, Um, you're marrying because you have to, and that's, that's, that's what's done. Um, And you have, you don't really have, you don't have any choice in your partner, at least back then. Um, My parents didn't, they were just told that here's, here's the person you're marrying, good luck for the rest of your life. Um, That being said, I mean, they're, they're very happy in their marriage now, but um, that's just, that's just how things were set up. Um, So, you know. The, the idea of, like, not just conservative culture, but, like, the, uh, you have really high expectations because you're expected mm. to get married in the way yeah. your parents want you to. Yeah. Um, you're expected to get married to the, like, the quote-unquote right type of Indian, like, the the exact area, the state, language, religion, culture that you're from. Um, you know, with, with the arranged marriages, um, kid parents kind of have put everything in their kids, right? Because there's not necessarily that marriage for love. They put all their love into their kids. Um, so there's even higher expectations that they, they meet these really high expectations um, that their parents set out for them. Um, and then and then on top of all of that is you take that and then bring that to America, right? So we have our parents who sacrifice literally their entire lives, everything they knew and their livelihood for their kids so they can have a better life in this country. Um, so yeah, expectations are sky high and I'm I'm very aware of that. Um so that's why I think for me and I'm I'm a 30-year-old man now, I haven't been able to do that. Um but you know, I I am planning to. It's just a matter of you know, just finding the right time, the right moment, the right space all that.
0: Wow. Wow. You know, coming out is your own journey and I always recommend people to only do it when you feel you're ready, you know, regardless of whatever people recommend you to do or whatever you read in whatever literature. It's whenever you feel comfortable, whenever you feel safe, and whenever you feel ready.
1: Right. And I'm finding that, you know, people say, you know, just give it, give yourself time. And I'm finding that that, that really is the answer. I just needed time, you know. Um, just thinking through it, um, kind of slowly exposing, at least my mom to like different ideas of being queer and, uh, to kind of get her ready. Um, so yeah, I, I I was talking to a friend the other day and they kind of made me realize that, you know, when you come out to yourself, you had like 20 plus years to deal with it. Right. Mm, Um, whereas you tell your parents, they, they haven't, they just find out right away. Um, and they're going to need potentially years to maybe get to where you are now right um so having that just being aware of that and having that expectation when you tell them makes things hopefully easier in both parties mm,
0: that's really good advice is there anything that's inspiring you to come out now i have it's it's funny because i have some asian friends who are a little on the older generation but they will mm-hmm. never they just will never tell their parents and they're like you know it, it it shouldn't matter my sexuality shouldn't matter that part of my life is not important and so they are from the books that uh, um just not telling them at all and I'm just curious what is inspiring you to come out to your family
1: yeah um so know, yeah, I think there was a time probably several years ago where I was like oh I'm just never going to tell them you know I'm going to Tell them I'm single for the rest of my life. Um, but I think a couple of things changed. One is that you know, another part of Indian culture is marriage is really a really big deal and you get the questions constantly of like, Hey, when are you getting married? When are you getting married? Are you married yet? You know? <laughs> um, so that pressure is very much there. Um so I wanna hopefully alleviate that a little bit by, you know, yeah, hey, I'm still gonna get married, but maybe not exactly how you expected.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um
1: so I want to tone down those expectations. Um, and the other reason is that I think as I get more comfortable with my gay life in San Francisco um, and just fully realize what I want my life to be, I realize that I I, I can't live with this lie that much longer. Um, because I, I do have a close relationship with my parents, and there's this huge, gigantic part that they don't know about me um so i i want them to know the whole me because that's who i am and that's who they gave birth to and um so hopefully that uh that Mm. goes well
0: (laughs) yes i i definitely hope it goes really well too and whatever happens yeah you definitely have a whole community that supports you with whatever you decide to do so you know regardless of what we talk about on this podcast or you know, what we do in our regular life, you know, I'm a resource and uh, I hope you can also reach out to your community for support as well. Yeah, thank you so much.
1: Um, I'm realizing, you know, just like simple conversations and getting little nuggets of advice really go, really go far.
0: And one thing I wanted your thoughts on. So I have noticed as a part of doing my work, creating spaces, and even just a larger context of just a conversation of who is an Asian in media? Oftentimes when people refer to Asians, they typically just refer to East Asians, right? Koreans, Chinese, Japanese. And I think lately they are being more inclusive with Southeast Asians. So uh, they're Mm -hmm. now starting to think about Thai people, Cambodians and Singaporeans, but oftentimes Indians and South Asians are left out of that conversation. And so I'm Mm -hmm. curious from your perspective, why is this the case? And what can we do to be more inclusive?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, Right. I think the South Asian identity is seen as so different, you know. Um, And I think even within the South Asian identity, there's just so much there. Um, There's Pakistan, India, Afghanistan, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, Nepal. Um, And then within India, pretty much each state is almost like its own little country. Um so there's just so much there um and uh I think at least what I've observed is that from an American standpoint, I think because of like physically we look different than say East Asians, um there's always just been a very like never being able to associate those two together, which has been really unfortunate because I think just generally. Uh, Asian culture has a lot of similarities. You know, we talked about the, the conservative aspect of it, but not just that. There's like the family values part of it, right? Like family is very important. Community is very important. A lot of those values are really shared across the Asian continent. So I think trying to focus on that and talking about what brings us together and makes us Asian
0: is mm, is the way to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we all can do a better job of, whenever we say Asian, being more inclusive with representation of South Asians from all different areas of the world.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, I, I would say, at least in the last couple of years, South Asian representation has been has been growing a lot, um, which has been great to see. I think people are kind of realizing that there's a lot of us. <laughs> um, yeah understatement of the century (laughs) um and that you know we have something to say um so that's been really encouraging to see
0: yeah it's uh china china and india are two of the most populated countries in the entire world
1: right yeah i mean that's just by sheer manpower human power um there's so many people there than in the west um but just because the West has just such a cultural dominance over the East, um, I, it, it's hard to forget just how, how different it is over there. But um, I think we've, we're slowly starting to see a change. And as East Asian, South Asian, Asian culture in general becomes more visible in the West, um, then people will realize that we're, uh, we're not that different.
0: Exactly, exactly. And what I'm excited about is a lot of the technologies, especially from China, but also a lot of technologies from India are starting to become much more massive. And, you know, uh, like their version of Amazon slash uh, Alibaba, they have Flipkart, you know. And Mm -hmm. it's becoming larger and larger and larger. And I think it is hard to ignore these identities and these cultures once they become dominant players in the larger capitalistic ecosystem and i'm really excited about just these companies organizations getting bigger and not just for the country but also really for representation in the global ecosystem
1: right and you know um i've always said that just exposure to different cultures this goes so far and realizing that there are different people out there um, and it's really great that technology has made this exposure so easy made this visibility so you know so accessible at your fingertips
0: um
1: so that's uh, i think it's only going to get closer after yeah, this
0: yeah yeah so i kind of want to get into the meat of the conversation which is on love and so quick question for you what's your current status are you single partnered looking
1: i'm single and i'm think i think i'm happy with it let's go with that <laughs>
0: <laughs> no that's amazing uh, a lot of people are single but they're really unhappy
1: yeah um yeah i still think i'm navigating my singledom but it's cool <laughs>
0: no it's amazing uh and just curious what uh what led you to being happy single
1: oh yeah for sure um so i uh have only ever had one relationship in my uh career if you want to call it um so I was um with someone for about four years um and that ended two years ago Mm -hmm. um and I think the past two years I've been figuring out what I want um and I'm just realizing it's such a hard question to answer um and you think it'd be really easy right like oh like (laughs) what am I into Who am I attracted to How, how do I want to spend my time with someone Um, and as a 30 year old man, I still can't answer that question. Um, but, um, I think that's why I'm happy being single because I'm just exploring what else is out there. Um, and I think after two years of, you know, breaking up, being on the apps, meeting all these people, I'm kind of finding solace in not meeting anyone and, just being by myself, (laughs) Um, at least romantically. Um, And just like allowing myself to ask those questions of what makes me happy, not just in this moment, but long-term. Yep. Um, So that's been a very useful conversation. Mm.
0: Yeah, if you can't love yourself, you really can't love other people. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) And so you mentioned a little bit of dating apps. What are your thoughts on dating apps?
1: Oh, God, that could be a whole nother podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get into it. Yeah. um, So, yeah, I mentioned I was in this relationship for four years. And that was really my first kind of anything with, like, anything being serious with another person, being gay with another person, all that. Um, So I hadn't experienced the apps until my late 20s. Um, because the whole, you know, is a monog- monogamous relationship and I was happy in it at the time, but always in the back of my mind, I had this thought of like, oh, I wonder what the apps are like, especially cause it's almost like this requirement that if you're gay, you have to be on the apps, you know, you have to just experience that life. Um, because, because everyone else is, and that's just how people meet each other these yeah, days. Yeah.
0: It's all, it's um, all over social media too. Everyone's taking screenshots of their apps and it, it's, it's so commonplace.
1: Right, exactly. Um I mean so I actually met my ex in person at a bar, which wow. when I was telling people that they yeah. were shocked. They're like you met in person? You didn't meet over an app? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that shows how much times have changed. <laughs> um so you know, when I did eventually uh got out of that relationship and and joined the apps, um I think there was an initial excitement of just like, oh I'm like a kid in a candy store. Um but once I realized just how much work it is just to meet people and have like meaningful connections, um, I realized that it's um, not something I think I want to spend a lot of time on. You know, I, I, I think I've been really lucky though in that the first year, I met some of my best friends today uh, through the apps.
0: Really, um, really?
1: Yeah, and I, that's one thing I did not expect. Um, you know, like I kind of go, went in like, oh, I'm single. I'm just going to hook up a bunch. Great. This will be fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. But then uh, as you meet people and you hook up with them, whatever, I'm like, oh, these are actually cool people. I should be friends with them.
0: was <laughs> so um, fascinating. Did you, did you meet up with them with the intention of hooking up and then you realize you were friends or did you, I'm just so curious how that happened.
1: Yeah. So usually it's like you meet with the intention of hooking up. And then you know you realize like oh you have stuff to talk about after <laughs> and then we ha- we hang out after that and then I become like I kind of friend zone them right so I'm uh... like great that's how we met <laughs> but like now we're friends so we're not gonna do that anymore <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's worked out really well and I've made some some great connections there um, to the point yeah to the point now where I. I have like at least the first year I did have like a lot of like just regular hookups that weren't um, that didn't lead to connections and I I think I'm kind of over that just because I get way more out of say you know I don't know 20 minutes of a hookup versus like months and months of an actual relationship with someone but, like building a connection um, and again not to not to yuck anyone's yum and I, if people want to hook up that's great that's awesome um i had my phase but i'm realizing that um okay like i've had it and what's next Where, where where can i take it from here
0: yeah wow yeah and, you know different flavors for different people but it, the dating apps are really suited just for people who really want a lot you know a lot of different uh, hookups and really quick hookups you know i feel like you send a couple messages and then all of a sudden you get a dick pic and you're like oh <laughs>
1: like, well if, it, if it's 2 a.m that's okay but <laughs> if it's like brunch time I'm like, let's have a conversation yeah. <laughs>
0: I, I was like what i was watching someone use the app it was so i don't know it felt a little intrusive i was just standing in the subway here in new york city and someone was sitting down i was standing up and i wasn't even trying to look they were just using their phone right in front of my face and they're on yeah. grinder and they're just flipping through all these messages and flipping through dick pics nonchalantly and I was like oh my gosh this is really intense <laughs> <Fletching your>
1: pearls. <laughs> yeah I
0: know I was like oh my I'm like sweating here I don't know <laughs> <laughs> and I was like oh my gosh and it's just um it's so interesting because we went from you know let's say 15 20 years ago when it was so taboo right to even have a dick pic in a photo let alone send it to people and now it's just almost like a business card some people I've mentioned. It's just like you send it. And it's like, that's yeah. Funny. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> interesting. Okay.
1: Well, and you know, the one thing I'm very wary with that is like, I'm scared that like you almost depersonalize it, right? Like, they're just like people are just like transactions. They're just pictures. You don't realize there's an entire personality and history and like story behind each picture and each person. Um, and it's so easy with so much choice and just how easy it is to get this stuff. Um, to, to not realize that. Um, so I'm trying to get better better at that, you know, and realizing like, yeah, this is great, but like I want to just get to know the the person behind that too because you're here for a reason and I'm here for a reason and let's talk more about that.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. One thing about the... Po- uh, no, I was going to say podcast, not podcast. One thing about the dating <laughs> apps I have seen that I just really absolutely hate is when I read people's bios... And they, and back then it was way more pervasive. People were writing no blacks, no Asians, no femmes. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And a lot of these people will say, well, it's just a preference. Why can't I just say, what's my preference in my bio? And I'm curious if you have a perspective on this.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's, I agree. You used to see that a lot more, but you still see a lot. Like people say mask all the time. Um, yeah, I'm mask, and I was like, I really like don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> but it's fine. <laughs> it's um, I mean, yeah, obviously it's really unfortunate. Um, yeah. I think uh, you say it's just a preference, but you're already making prejudgment about someone, right? Um, you're you're judging them based off of like the color of their skin, um, their behavior, the way they act. Um, but I mean, who someone is, their actual personality, you're not even letting them get to show that to you. Um, if you're, you know, you're setting up all these judgments beforehand. Um, so I mean, yeah, it's a preference, but like, is it, you know, like how do you have a preference against like an entire group of people? Um, how do you have, how can you just cast judgment on, on so many people at once without getting to, to know them and seeing if you could really click, That's I think that's, it kind of buzzed me out, but, um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Have you, have you faced any of this personally while you run the dating apps?
1: You know, I, I I guess I'm lucky to say that I don't think I have directly. Um, I think generally, given all that I'm pretty into Indian things, I tend to talk to Indian people more uh, yeah. <laughs> on there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a preference. <laughs> mm, <yeah. laughs> um, no, I mean, I haven't yeah. talked to anyone, but yeah. I think it just kind of happens because I tend to look like enjoy, spend my time talking about, you know, just my cultural activities and all that stuff and that I connect with people easier on that. Um, so I haven't really experienced, like, someone not wanting to talk to me because of the way I look um, or the way I act or anything. Um, but I, I hear about it all the time, um, especially, I think, in San Francisco. I live in San Francisco here. Where we're kind of lucky that it's, it's fairly diverse, but folks in other parts of the country where they may be the only Asian in like 50 miles then I think they hear that stuff all the
0: time yeah and it's uh I I I think I think we have to really be conscientious especially what we write in our bio and how we want people to feel you know it's I get you have a preference or whatever and I won't argue you know what you want to defend as what you like but what I will defend is how that makes someone feel you know And Mm -hmm. if you put out into the open what your thoughts are, whatever, if it makes someone feel terrible, if it makes someone feel belittled, if it makes someone feel any less of themselves, I don't think that's Mm -hmm. right.
1: Right. I mean, especially because people are already really vulnerable being on the apps, right? You're putting yourself out there saying, hey, here's me. I want to meet strangers. It takes a lot just to get there. Um, So then to take them down from there is just not fair
0: agreed agreed and i was curious if you were to give yourself a younger yourself some advice on navigating love what would it be
1: that's that's a good one because i feel like i still need that advice now (laughs) um yeah you know so i guess tying back to what i was talking about earlier um, and this kind of answers the reason of why I want to truly come out is, um, I think I've held back on really being able to give myself to someone and really being able to love because I'm not fully out, right? Um, I I feel like I because that person will essentially be a lie to say my parents and my family. Um, I don't want to like commit to someone. I don't want to give in because that's not fair. Um, I want to be I want to be fully out. Um, so I, I'd say, you know, at least to my younger self, like figure that stuff out first, um, figure out who you are before you want to love someone else. Because once you have someone else there, you have an entire set of emotions and, you know, this, this whole plethora of issues to deal with, um, it's a lot of variables in play. Um, so the more you have a better sense of who you are, I mean, you're never going to get fully there because that's something that we try to figure out our whole lives, but, um, The more realized you are, at least in your you know your queerness, your homosexuality, um that's only gonna make things that much easier,
0: yeah, and what is some advice you can give to somebody to become more confident about these identities or to explore it further?
1: yeah, so when I first came out at least to myself back in the classroom, <laughs> um I remember thinking that that same day. Oh man, I must be like the only gay Indian in the world. Like I really thought that it just wasn't common. There wasn't anyone else like me. And it's over these ten years, I realized, oh well, wow, there's a lot. <laughs> you know, um, so really realizing that you're not alone. Um, people are going through the exact same struggle, um, and they understand just these the nuances of what goes into being gay and Indian. Um, so whatever resources you can take advantage of and like find either individual people, or organizations, or anything, and just having those conversations, um, try to do that, try to do that as early as you can. Um, you know, especially because like you do without shame, like people are there literally to help you, um, to make sure that you don't have to go through what they went through. Um, so just, just embrace that. Oh,
0: that's amazing. And I know you are involved in quite a lot in uh, san francisco and i'm just curious too much (laughs) (laughs) i'm just curious if you could share with the listeners just uh what do you do what are you involved in in san francisco and what they can use as resources
1: yeah um so i'm involved in kind of two big projects or volunteer opportunities here in san francisco um the first is called asha for education um asha actually means hope in hindi um, so we and it's a national organization and there's a chapter here in San Francisco um, and we raise money for education projects in India um, so the idea is we fundraise money here and send that to like really small scale projects in India that, that could use the funding um, and I fundraise by planning an event called Holi which is the Indian festival of color um, so I'm sure people have seen like Indian people covered in color and on, on the internet <laughs> um, that's that's what that is, it's holy. Totally, it happens in the spring. Um and I've been playing that event for actually about ten years now.
0: wow, um, wow.
1: Yeah. Back in college and now in San Francisco. Um and it's something I'm super passionate about. Um so that's coming up actually in just about a month in San Francisco. Um and if all goes well, we're hoping to have up to four thousand people there.
0: Oh. Wow. Uh, so wow.
1: <laughs> yeah. So it's a it's yeah. a hopefully big deal. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and then the other thing I'm involved in, and this is actually fairly new, um, there's a queer, trans, GNC, South Asian organization um, that just started uh, in San Francisco in the Bay Area, which is called Parivar, um, which means family in Hindi. Um, so the idea is, um, you know, through this organization, we create events, uh, uh, hold space, um, panel discussions, create safe spaces, Um for those that members of that community. Um, Cause you know, as I mentioned, kind of my guess my theme through this whole conversation is um, the idea that you're not alone being mm-hmm. both queer and South Asian because yeah. there are people who are going through that all the time. Um, so they, the hope of this organization is to create areas for those people to not only meet each other but be visible for that community um, in the greater San Francisco area, uh, Bay area, Um, and just create those resources for them. So that's fairly new, and let's see what what that'll turn into, but I'm very excited about it.
0: Oh, amazing, amazing. And, yeah, we'll include the organizations and the names of them in the show notes, so definitely check them out. I think you should definitely check them out. Yeah, I think uh, people should check these out regardless of if they're South Asians, you know? I think, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's always great to check out other organizations to learn how we can best support each other, you know?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the reasons I love planning the first event I talked about Holy, um, is because it's one that appeals to literally everyone, right? It's just a day where you come, you dance to great Bollywood music, you throw color on people. Um, we have people in San Francisco who come from literally every background that you can imagine, Um, and they all come together as like one big community and just have a good time. Um, so it's a really great just experience to really let people learn about Indian culture, but just, just have fun, you know? So it's great.
0: Amazing. And Holy looks so good on a social media. It's so colorful. You have like everyone covered in all of this color. And, uh, I think, I think it's such an amazing opportunity.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's great. Um yeah, you know, you wear white when you first show up yeah. and then by the end
0: you leave you leave like a rainbow. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, rainbow. Okay, so I have some quick rapid fire questions for you at the okay. end. Okay, are you ready? Yes. Okay, so first question is what do we need more of in love?
1: Ooh, um I would say awareness. Mm. Um awareness of oneself and awareness of the other person and where they are on their emotional journey Mm,
0: amazing and kind of on the flip side of that what do we need less of in love
1: uh maybe expectations Mm. um you know just having unfair expectations of where you think someone should be versus where you are yeah
0: that's a good one and last one what is inspiring you lately
1: um good question uh probably my Mm friends.
0: um
1: I'm surrounded by a really good group of people. um, And I thought if I see them just doing amazing things, I want to do it with them and we can just support and inspire each other.
0: Mm, Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Rajiv. It was an absolute joy to have you. Thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. This is really fun, actually. (laughs) So thank you so much.
0: Yes. And quick question for you. How can our listeners find you or reach out to you?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm on Instagram Mm -hmm. at Roger the Boy, R-A-J-U-T-H-E-B-O-Y.
0: Okay. Slide into your DMs, right? Go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. And that's it for this episode of Yellow Glitter on Love. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can reach out to me via my Instagram at Stephen Wakabayashi and with that thank you so much rajiv it was such an absolute pleasure thank you (laughs) amazing and with that so much love for you and hope your day can be a little bit more mindful (laughs) bye now